Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Wealth Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... I'm Candice Lepage. So Candice, uh, you know, last time we did this show together, uh, it was the start of the writer's strike. And, uh, you know, several weeks later, the, the writer's strike is still on. So Still we, going strong. We didn't, we didn't solve it. We didn't point out where the where the problem was and they just totally ignored us i feel slighted well you know (laughs) i feel like probably uh the uh what is it the association of motion picture i don't Mm -hmm. know am amtp those people i don't think they listen to the show which is a real shame (laughs) they're missing out on some good stuff yeah (laughs) i mean it's market research we're doing for them come on uh yeah it is market research, and uh, it's it's kind of disappointing that all this hard work is is lost on uh, the Hollywood power players. That uh, you know, uh, we don't even make the clips, but uh, oh well, that's life. End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at three p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the news movies, which this week will be the new sci-fi superhero sequel. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which you can still see in a theater near you and on Disney Plus in six weeks. Um, anyway, that's in the back half of the show for the first half in honor of another Disney movie that's now in theaters, The Little Mermaid. Uh, we are going to talk about movie remakes, but we're not. We're throwing a wrench, throwing the wrench in. <laughs> it's not just a good movie remakes. Or bad movie remakes. We're going to have to talk about the good, the bad, and the okay. So good, a good remake, a bad remake, and a, a remake that was, you know, maybe had some good ideas, but maybe didn't succeed all the way. And uh, yeah, this should make it uh, a little more interesting because uh, I know I know remakes have a bad name, but I feel, and maybe Candace agrees, that um, there's a little... There's a little bit more to it than that, that, uh, you know, remakes are, um, you know, even going back to 1956, the the famous Charlton Heston Ten Commandments, that itself was a remake. The the uh, Humphrey Bogart Maltese Falcon was a remake. So you, you think about some of these classic movies, um, they were remakes themselves. Yeah, I was actually surprised because I um, Wikipedia has this great page that just has a list of like all the movies that are remakes um, and uh, in alphabetical order by the movie, like the original movie. And mm-hmm. it was really quite interesting to look through them to see how many films, one, have been remade, but also <laughs> like it, remakes have always happened, right? Like a movie was made in 1936 and then it was remade in 1954. I don't think people were freaking out the way you do now <laughs> about how, you know, good ideas we're creatively bankrupt blah 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 it's just it's a constant sort of thing to remake properties sometimes good sometimes bad mm-hmm. sometimes kind of wtf but uh you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's a theatrical tradition too right i mean it, it, that you know what is you know you go to the i don't know if it's playing this summer at stratford festival i think rent is um, they're putting on a version of Rent at Stratford this year. But what is that except a remake of Rent, uh, the original <laughs> Broadway version? Theater is, theater is always remaking things. 
<laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, live live theater and and plays are you know it's a different director every time. It's different actors, so mm-hmm. it always has a bit of a different take. And sometimes it has you know sometimes they really strive to to you know make it look like something that came before, and sometimes they want to change it and make it totally fresh. So. Um, and on top of that, with live theater, every single night is different too. Mm, mm-hmm. That's the beauty of of seeing art performed live. You know, whether it's music or or uh, theater, or even like you can also sort of see people create art live too, like fine mm-hmm. art and graffiti and stuff like that. You can go to graffiti things, a street um, sort of festivals where they just <laughs> and it's very cool. <laughs> it's just cool to see art being created live and to realize oh it actually there is something that just is of the moment every time so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes um we're, we're gonna obviously this isn't about uh live art but um <laughs> we're gonna get into some of these remakes that we've selected so candace i don't know where you want to start uh the good the okay the bad but i, I will let you pick um which of those three categories you want to start with and what the Gosh, movie you've just, chosen is it's just so it's just so <laughs> difficult let's start with the um i'm gonna go with the sort of like the okay or the the you know it's neither good nor bad i don't okay i, I don't know if um i think this is sort of one of those like nebulous places where you can say well it's okay or it's boring or it's unnecessary or um you know didn't do whatever but mm-hmm. um i I think a lot of our remakes that kind of fall into this category of like, yeah, I mean, sure, sure, that was fine, I suppose, um, tend to be uh, American or North American remakes of foreign films. Mm-hmm. Um, because so many of them, it's, you know, just typically under five years since the film came out mm-hmm. worldwide. You know whether it was a Spanish language film or a, um, a Chinese or Korean or Japanese film. You know all these different things, um, and for whatever reason, I don't know. Apparently, North Americans, I guess, just don't want to watch films that have <laughs> subtitles, so we always have to remake them as you know in English with our own recognizable actors. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. So some of them, um, almost in every case, I would say the foreign film is usually better. Um, but uh, I'm going to do something I never ever do, and that's talking about a Tom Cruise movie. Oh, <gasps> weird, weird. I know, right? So the movie Vanilla Sky mm-hmm. um, is a remake of a Spanish film called Open Your Eyes. Abro los ojos. Abro los ojos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it came out just, I think maybe four or five years after the the. Um, the Spanish film did. And it's it's interesting because, I mean, unfortunately, I am like a lot of other people. I do often see the North American version first because mm. we don't typically have um, a strong foreign film sort of culture here. So unless mm-hmm. you're seeking them out, it's hard to find them. But so I did see Vanilla Sky. I think it was probably the last Tom Cruise movie I went to see <laughs> i don't remember when minority report whatever like those two films were kind of like that was the end for me not that he his acting or anything was that was just when i was like you know i'm just i'm out yeah. on this guy right um but so vanilla sky i saw in the theater 
and it was really interesting and it was very beautifully shot and um had a great soundtrack which i listened to non-stop uh mm-hmm. for a really long time but um i i mean i did find out quite quickly that it was a remake of a, a spanish film and so i also saw the spanish film and i, I purchased it i have it on vhs um <laughs> but then i watched the spanish film and i was like well so but this is the i mean it's almost the exact same film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's literally it's very very close right down to the fact they actually cast the same actress as the lead actress and that's penelope cruz mm-hmm. um which is sort of cool that you can you know they could do that um but it's sort of one of those things where it's like yeah i mean the cameron crow film it's very good people should definitely see it but you could also just go see open your eyes instead and get a you know a great experience mm-hmm. that's that's really good um and pretty much get the same sort of thing the one thing i'll say that's a little bit different and i haven't watched either either of these films in a really long time but i definitely remember vanilla sky um sort of felt very like dreamlike and esoteric it had a kind of like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind that sort of like mm-hmm. what is reality and what is going on um <clears throat> and i'm not sure if that was cameron crow or if it was just because um in north america we tend to like films are either based in reality or based in fantasy and and we don't really um intersect that so much right. whereas open your eyes i think was far less sort of weird and dreamlike and esoteric like it all felt really rooted in in his real reality mm-hmm. um and that sort of reminds me a little bit of um a lot of Guillermo del Toro's films because his are all very fantastical but they mm-hmm. all feel really rooted in reality and yeah. I think there's just something there where um uh in different cultures uh, the you know sort of mixing of of rational and irrational is less uh you know black and white as it is here in north america and so it it had it felt very very vanilla sky i guess i mean i don't understand the title right so there you go well i think it was just interesting sorry just because cameron crowe is is a director with a very specific sort of thing and he writes all of his own things and this was him actually like remaking something else so very sort of bizarre experiment for him to take part in Hmm. I think Vanilla Sky was, an, I think it's an album title or something that uh, Cameron Cameron Crow um, borrowed. I yeah, it, it, it's it's a very weird artifact. Is this thing? This it's very dreamlike. Um, it's very bizarre. I think it maybe talking about Tom Cruise. Maybe one of the last time he really like tried to test himself as an actor. He really tried out <laughs> capital A acting. So it's, it, yeah, it's it's an interesting artifact for sure. Uh, all right, I'm going to follow your lead. Uh, my OK remake is one that a lot of people have a lot of fondness for. Um, and it's pretty good. It's, it's not great. It's not certainly not as great as the original. Um, it's The Magnificent Seven. It's the John Sturges Western based on the Akira Kurosawa film, The Seven Samurai. Um Obviously, it's hard to top Kurosawa just for pure cinemaness, let's say. Um, and in Magnificent Seven, um, it, it's a pretty rote Western by Western standards. I mean, it came out in 1960, which was 
more or less the end of the Western dominance era. Um, it is a, kind of a star power vehicle. I mean, people may remember the Magnificent Seven was remade. It was itself remade a couple of years ago as a Denzel Washington vehicle. It's co-starred Ethan Hawke, Chris Pratt, um, Vincent D'Onofrio, among others. Um and, and in that, you know, the Magnificent Seven, the original 1960 version was was like that, too. It was uh, Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, Robert Vaughn. Um, so these were like the big tough guys, hero guys of the era. What I find particularly um, interesting is Yul Brenner, who was a uh, was a star by this point, but the Magnificent Seven was his first Western. And other than Westworld, it's his only Western. I mean, aside from the <laughs> sequel as well. Um, it, it is very, very interesting. It, there's that connection to Washington as well, because Denzel Washington has done one Western, and it is the Magnificent Seven. So uh, it, it's interesting that those two movies themselves remakes both attract like these leading men who were not... Um, sort of ensconced in the Western culture. And it's sort of interesting when you see Yul Brenner in Westworld later on, he is dressed like his Magnificent Seven character. So it's it's very meta like that. But the the film itself, as I said, it's 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 very rote. Uh seven gunslingers are are brought together to protect this Mexican village from um from uh I guess pillagers, you you might call them. Uh Eli Wallach played the 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 head bandit. Um, the head Mexican bandit, I should say, even though he was very clearly mm-hmm. a, a white Jewish man, but uh, very much of the era. But it, it is, it, it's a solid movie. Um, you know, Brenner is, you know, r- remains one of the top-notch Hollywood leading men. Steve McQueen and as like basically his sidekick. Um, they're very, very good together. The whole gang is great. Uh, the Robert Vaughn redemption in the end. Uh thrilling and it's 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 a fun little western but it is um elmer bernstein of course did the soundtrack too i'd be remiss if i didn't mention the that epic theme song but just as like a a product of western cinema um it's very well it's very well regarded people loved it but it is not like sort of one of the sort of like 10 defining westerns although it it is probably one of the most famous westerns ever um it's a very enjoyable film but it doesn't really you know again coming at the end of this era of of western movies it it really doesn't do much but you know it would uh be up to sergio leone uh an italian director to take things to the next level a few years later with the good the bad and the ugly so um popular well-known appreciated beloved movie um but mostly okay despite the talent involved so yeah uh, well and it's interesting i think um the the story mm-hmm. you know the sort of root story of the seven samurai magnificent seven um is a very common one and i think yes. one that that can be reused over many times and yes. much like um i promise i'm not going to talk about the thing in this episode well i am <laughs> but i'm not gonna it's not gonna be one of my things but like the thing which is one of my favorite uh horror movies i love like any any story that takes that sort of base thing mm-hmm. where it's like any one of us could be the bad guy we don't know and we have to figure out how to do it similar with the with the magnificent 7 right it's just seven people or a group of people who show up mm-hmm. and 
are are there to protect like you see it replicated over tv shows and things like that and so mm -hmm. sometimes you know in some ways maybe that is part of why it's kind of like everybody knows about the magnificent seven but the film itself is just kind of like oh well that was it okay <laughs> well i mean the the magnificent seven formula is going to be redone again um with the upcoming space film from Zack snyder rubble moon Mm. which is essentially Magnificent Seven in space. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good story to keep mm -hmm. retelling, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's a reliable trope. All right, uh, where do you want to go next? Okay, I'm going to go with the good because okay. um, uh, the one I have for the bad, I've got, I've got lots to say about that. Okay. So, the good, like I said, I'm not going to talk about the thing, even <laughs> though it's obviously the best remake <laughs> ever made. Um, sure. But... I am going to talk about a film that really is very similar to the thing and it's sort of of the same time and that's The Blob mm -hmm. which came out in I think 87 maybe um 88 1988 uh and it's a remake of uh you know one of those like 50s monster movies The Blob with Steve McQueen and this to me I tell everybody like rewatch the 88 version of The Blob like it is a really good remake and it's something that does remakes really well right it takes sort of the um the the idea of the blob takes the monster mm -hmm. doesn't really give the monster like some of these remakes it's like oh we've got to delve into the monster and find out why he was doing it and it's like so half the time we don't care it's mm -hmm. just a big pink blob of goo and it's killing things it's all we mm -hmm. need to know in the original film it was uh, an alien meteorite landed in the new film, it's just some sort of like bioterrorism thing, but whatever. That doesn't really <laughs> affect the blob. <laughs> All it does is consume. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this film is just great. I mean, the, the effects are really, really good. Um, really stacked cast of actors who sort of, you know, either went on to do really good things or had already been kind of stars. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it does a really nice thing where, you know, right sort of near the beginning, it sort of sets up similar to the blob, you know, the, the, cause this is like the fifties invented the teenager as we know. And, you know, Steve McQueen was sort of one of those, like the mm -hmm. invention of the teenager sort of character. He was the all American, like classic football star and the, <laughs> you know, convertible mm -hmm. with the girlfriend and just driving along and they come and they find the guy. Mm -hmm. It's been attacked by the blob. And they're the heroes of the story. They continue on through the entire 1950s. Well, in this 88 version, we have the same sort of thing. We've got the guy and the girl, the all-American hero, played by Donovan Leach as the like footballer and very popular and actually pretty nice. He's not a jerk, which, you know, in some movies, you kind of <laughs> the, the head of the football team, the jerk. Kind of nice. And so it sets up the same sort of thing. They find the guy who's been attacked by the blob, bring him to the hospital. And then, seemingly, the star of the movie gets killed. Mm -hmm. One of the first people, actually, I think he is the first person to die from the blob. <laughs> and so it just immediately goes, yeah, yeah, you thought you knew what was going to happen in this movie, but you're not. You don't know. We're going to change things up. Um, and so the rest of the film is just kind of like, it's almost like an open canvas that they can just sort of do whatever on, even though they kept a lot of the same sort of things, right? Again, the same monster, the same way to, to kill it with the cold, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and just trying to like, 
get through everything. I, I really like this movie. This is one it never it didn't do well when it came out for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And I think people still sort of go, oh, the blob, that sounds like a, you know, a silly, like, 50s monster movie. It's like, no, 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 this is actually, it's very good. And, uh, like, the special effects are so good in this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and it's the, like, early, early uh, Frank Darabont script writing, so. Yep, and Chuck Russell was the director. I mean, he's won Oscars, right? So He's won Oscars, yeah. So, yeah. um, also been involved in some, uh horror as well uh mm-hmm. creator of the walking dead the tv show um blob is good um i chose one that's a little bit more recent uh in terms of a horror remake for my good remake um it is let me in it is matt reeves mm-hmm. remake of the swedish film based on the swedish novel let the right one in this you know you talked before about translating foreign films with into english with american actors and people things people recognize and this felt like that like it was just kind of this sort of like blatant obscenity along those lines and at this point you know <laughs> with dvd it, it it's you know it had come easier and easier to find these like well-received well-liked foreign movies so it was like well what is this really for um I think there there's still a bit of that, but there is real artistry in Let Me In. Uh, moves the action to Los Alamos, which is you know, in terms of settings, is it, it just feels like just as desolate as this like winter in in Sweden. Um, you get really two really great young actors, Cody Smith McPhee as the boy, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz as uh, the vampire. Um, they're very, very good together. They have obvious chemistry, and and you you become really invested in their friendship. You get Richard Jenkins as the um the old man who's looking after the vampire. Um, he's like really frightening in in this movie, just in terms of like how vicious he is in his ordinariness. <laughs> um, and you also get uh, Canadian actor uh, Elias Cotes. Um, as the, the detective investigating he's also the voice of the absentee dad which is an interesting choice that um you know these two sort of um would be heroic male figures in this kid's life uh bo- both failures both vo- both done by the same actor but yeah it's just it's it's a beautiful film uh to watch it's uh it's dark but it doesn't always necessarily feel dark it feels very emotive um it it does deal with the monstrousness of like this having this vampire child around but you also complete are completely invested in why the two of them would be friends and and what and their connection and and how they get together in their alienness and it goes dark it goes hard just like that swedish film and um you wouldn't ordinarily think of an American director wanting to go that hard, especially when young people are involved. And so, I mean, it, it also sets up Matt Reeves, who at this point was coming off of Cloverfield um, and was about to go on to um, two Planet of the Apes movies, plus recently the Batman. It sort of sets him up as this sort of like pop um, remake auteur who, who's able to come into these things, which you kind of have an immediate visceral negative reaction to, and he ends up making like really, really great emotive pop art out of them. So um, 
that's my pick for a good remake. Let me in. Hmm. All, All right. right. That just leaves the bad. <laughs> okay. <There you> go. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, there's a lot of horror on our our list because mm. horror films get remade just constantly. Yep. Um. So I was very glad that I I I was able to you know go with Vanilla Sky for one of them. But uh, I am going back into the horror world for a uh, bad bad mm. remake, possibly mm-hmm. the worst remake of oh. all time. Um. Okay. Though. You know, it's hard to say because you have to actually like horror to even seek it out to begin with. <laughs> so, in 2002, um, a, a rather young Eli Roth started, uh, you know, the the sort of, he started his his series of films that were all, like, grungy and very, like, ugh, mm-hmm. torture porny, created mm-hmm. a whole new genre of film. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one he put out was Cabin Fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I didn't let me tell you a story. <laughs> okay. Not long ago I thought, you know what, I don't really <sighs> like torture porn. I'm not really I'm not really into Eli Roth. I like him as an actor. I've seen him in a number of things. Um, but I'm just not into this whole thing. Like I know he didn't do Saw, but Saw was also sort of the beginning of it. I saw trailers for Hostel. I was like, no, no, no. Um and then for whatever reason, I saw something and I thought, maybe I should give it a try. Maybe I'll start with Cabin Fever. Mm-hmm. And so I started watching the movie Cabin Fever. I think I went on YouTube or a streaming service or something. I typed in Cabin Fever and started watching this movie. And I kept watching it. And I was like, did I, have I seen this movie before? <laughs> this feels really, really familiar. What is going on? Um, and then uh, after eventually just, it was driving me crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the movie was so i was just like i know i know the beats i know what's going to happen and it's the water and then the the you know attack and i know all of these things what is going on i finally like stopped the movie looked up cabin fever and realized oh this was remade this is not the eli roth version that i'm watching this is (laughs) a remake from 2016 and i guess i have seen the eli roth version because then i was looking it up and i managed to find the eli roth when i watched it and i was like oh i i did actually see this like at the time i just didn't really think of it as as you know what i thought it was mhm great story bro uh, I, yeah <laughs> and i have actually there have been other people who have told me about this said that they you know just decided to sit down and watch cabin fever and they ended up with this terrible 2016 version but so for whatever reason I don't know why. I think it's because Cabin Fever, the first film, created a bunch of like terrible, terrible sequels. And maybe for some reason they said, you know what? We need to go back to where it all began. We got to do the Halloween of this. And so a new director came in, decided he was going to make a new Cabin Fever movie right from the beginning. However, he was just going to use Eli Roth's screenplay mm-hmm. and just remake the entire movie exactly as the other movie only without any of what made Cabin Fever an interesting film. Like, good actors. Um, (laughs) I don't think he really understood the screenplay. Uh, He thought, I feel like the director of of the remake thought, what I thought at the time is that, oh, it's just this grungy, grimy, torture porn sort of thing. It's Mm -hmm. gross. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he went and made, was this really gross I mean, the original Cabin Fever that Eli Roth put out is also pretty explicit. 
Mm-hmm. And the 2016 one just like amps that up and it's just disgusting and it's terrible. And the act that it's just, I just don't even understand. And so I've had to warn people often when they start watching Cabin Fever, I'm like, make sure you're watching the right one because this, this abomination exists and <laughs> is the reason why people think horror movies are terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not seen the remake and I got to tell you, it's probably been 20 years since I watched Cabin Fever. So, um, I mean, Eli, Eli Roth has, is also not innocent in terms of terrible remakes. His, his death wish remake is rancid as well, but, uh, anyway, um, for my bad remake, I have, uh, a disaster film, Poseidon. It's the remake of the Poseidon adventure. And you'd think. Well, that, that doesn't sound so bad. Update this. And uh, I mean, you have Wolfgang Peterson as director. I mean, who knows um, adventure in tight spaces better than Wolfgang Peterson, uh, especially underwater. Uh, he did uh, Das Boot and uh, he also did Air Force One. Um, you also have a really great cast. You get uh, uh, Kurt Russell. You get uh, Emmy Rossum, uh, Josh Lucas. Uh, Kevin Dillon is also in this, uh, you know, going back to the blob, um, Carl Claus belt. It did the music for, it, and he's coming off of pirates of the Caribbean, which may be one of the sort of the most memorable movie themes of the last 20 years. Uh, you know, Hans Zimmer gets a lot of the credit because I think he did all the music for all the subsequent pirates films, but Claus belt, uh, was the one who wrote all those themes initially. And, uh, yeah, you get Andre Brower in here. Fergie has a cameo as the the. I mean, this is so two thousand and five, right? Because yeah. you know, Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, Fergie playing the the on ship entertainment. But God, it's boy, does this capture none of the magic of of that Poseidon adventure? Richard Dreyfuss too is in this. Now I'm thinking about it. It's just all these characters are bland. Um, Emmy Rossum has a boyfriend, and they're talking about getting married, and he's bland because her dad is Kurt Russell, who is like this legendary firefighter turned mayor of New York, and it's like you know they do nothing with this boyfriend character that makes you want to root for him. Uh, Josh Lucas, I actually had to look it up on Wikipedia to because it's not identified in in the film, like why exactly he's like this expert in like escaping these like death-defying situations it's like he's like a navy seal but i don't think that's ever mentioned in the course of the film um it's it's so busy it's 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 bad because it just feels like these are paper thin characters um they were given like a log line of who they these characters are these actors they're given a log line and that's all they got and that's all they used uh everything is kind of predictable and you see all the dangers coming. Uh, it's, you know, there's, I don't even remember this in the original Poseidon Adventure, but like there's this group, like there's a bunch of people that survive and then this group breaks off and tries to get to the, the bottom of the boat, which is now the top of the boat. Um, and then they, they leave a bunch of the others behind. They're like, no, no, we'll just stay here and be safe. And it's like, what disaster movie do you think you're in? It's, it's just, it's, it, it, it nobody's well written everybody's dumb everybody's <laughs> oh, it's just utterly and completely disappointing because like you know you look at the the, the post the, the poster they had for this it was so badass it was this it was the boat it was underwater but it was upside down and even the title card poseidon was upside down it's like oh this looks so badass but you get into the movie and it's um 
well, it doesn't deliver what it promises. Let's put it that way. It just there was some there was some like really great opportunities here, you know, with uh, with Kurt Russell in the, in the lead and uh, Wolfgang Peterson behind the camera. And it just feels like uh, they didn't really have any idea about why they wanted to remake the Poseidon Adventure, which is another thing with remakes is sometimes people just like, well, I don't really have a great idea about about remaking this, but I know I want to remake it because it's a thing and people recognize the name and away we go. And um, if there's a remake that gives other remakes a bad name, it's probably Poseidon, a.k.a. Poseidon Adventure. So, Yeah. Interestingly, I'm just here on IMDb looking it up, and uh, the first review reads, Although Poseidon was not all that well-received, I actually enjoyed it more than the original. Mm-hmm. Highly acclaimed the Poseidon Adventure, which I found too comical and unbelievable despite its good cast. So I guess... Um, <laughs> If you want something dour and just action all the time and no characters, then Mm -hmm. the remake sounds like the one to go for. Well, you know, it's, I mean, humor is part of it, right? You're in a boat upside down trying to like get out alive. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a bit weird to me that how people regard humor in some things as unpleasant and humor in other things as, as part of the thing. Uh, or what makes the thing successful, I should say, which is uh, a good way of getting us into our conversation about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which we're going to do coming up next. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Peter, you know this is an open line, right? What? We're listening to everything you're saying. And it is painful. And you're just telling me now? We were hoping it would stop on its own. But I switched it over to private. What color button did you push? Blue, for the blue suit. Oh, no. Blue is the open line for everyone. Orange is for blue. What? Black is for orange. Yellow is for green. Green is for red. And red is for yellow. No, yellow is for yellow. Green is for red. Red is for green. I don't think so. Try it then. You were right. And that was a clip from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's the new film from writer-director James Gunn, and it stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Karen Gillan, Palm Clementoff, Will Poulter, Chukudi Iwiji, Vin Diesel, and Bradley Cooper. So, this is Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Uh sequel to two subsequent guardians chapters plus the appearance of the guardians in those two avengers movies last version of this team 
also last of James Gunn for Marvel for a while because now he's the head of DC and boy like talk about journeys that you could almost make into movies themselves you know this was volume three was uh was set James Gunn was gonna do it and then um some bad actors dug up like ancient tweets that James Gunn sent that were in bad taste he was fired uh DC hired him to make Suicide Squad and then uh I guess cooler heads prevailed and he was rehired by Disney to make the next guardians. And then the pandemic happened. And uh, six years later, after the release of volume two, we finally get volume three. So Candace, was it worth the wait? Well, I didn't have to wait very long because you forgot to also mention the Christmas special, which uh, came out yes. just this past Christmas. I did um, forget that one because I which, haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, you should definitely see it. It actually, um, I think that there are some parts of, of Guardians of the Galaxy 3 that are, um, you know, you get more having seen the Christmas special. And I think mm. there are other parts where I'm like, yeah, but the Christmas special already dealt with this. What are we doing? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wasn't not interested in seeing this movie uh, like I am sometimes with some of the superhero <laughs> films. So the... Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy has always been one of the franchises I really like, and I've found that I've been more, um, I've appreciated the Mar Marvel movies more, the ones that are very um, fantastical. Um, I was kind of getting tired of the the Iron Man and Captain America and, you know, stuff that's just sort of rooted in everything we see around us. I'm like, oh, this, you know, sort of space stuff. This mm -hmm. seems kind of fun. Um, not only that, of course, I also, I think James Gunn did a really great job with both of the first two one two films. Mm -hmm. Um, I assumed he'd probably do a very good job with number three. Like I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be a, you know, a snoozer or anything. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was good. Like it was a, it was a fine movie. I didn't feel like a huge pull, like, oh my God, I really got to get out and see that. Um, I think just because. In a lot of ways, I think there's a lot of the stories of these characters that were sort of completed mm. um, in in other places, mm. right? In um, the Avengers, the uh, Infinity and End, or whatever they're... Infinity War and Endgame, yeah. Yeah, see, I didn't really like those, so... Um, <laughs> and then also in Thor, like the Guardians of the Galaxy showed up in Thor a little bit. So we did, we have sort of... I felt like we came to some natural completions of of the series, so I wasn't, you know, really needing a volume three. Um, but interestingly, I think there wasn't a lot of like sort of growth or character arc, except for this movie just really existed for Rocket. It was just, and I think that James Gunn just has a personal predilection for this character. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. And so I think for him, this was just like, he just really wanted to tell this story and he'd been sort of setting it up in all the other films. He's like, really my ultimate thing is that I just want to tell the like origin story of Rocket Raccoon and talk about how, you know, you go from being alienated to being part of a family. Um, and so, you know, great. He achieved that. And I think it's a good, it's a very good place for him to just leave now and go do something else um and frankly he's been doing good work with dc as well like his P peacemaker mm -hmm. was surprisingly good i did not i absolutely didn't expect that to be anything and it was 
really good television. So <laughs> I haven't seen Peacemaker either, but I, I did like his Suicide Squad a lot. I feel like he understood the mission with that movie better than David Ayer, which uh, I mean, it, I I always like the that idea of like we're gonna DC the the DC people in charge of dc at the time out we're going to start this but with we're going to start this universe with batman versus superman with the big team up and then we're going to get into this weirdo super villain film and they just completely screwed the pooch and then you have you bring in james gunn he's like yeah if you're gonna have a movie called suicide squad maybe some people should die (laughs) um so i mean he understood he i think he understands these things i think one of the things to to his credit as a director is that kind of like the more oddball the thing the better it suits his his talents, which is you know he's now working on a Superman movie, and I'm gonna I'm very interesting to see how he does with like earnestness. Um, yeah. Not to say that Guardians of the Galaxy there, there there's a definitely earnest streak in Guardians of the Galaxy, but um, it can always be punctuated with um, <laughs> with uh, you know humor and uh, particularly off color humor. Yeah. Um, the, my my thoughts about this is like it's probably the best Marvel movie in a while. Um, his experience really shows the fact that this is like a contained story. This is like out in space, and it's only about the Guardians, and it's not about ancillary characters and um, setting up the next thing. It, it's it's actually got a lot of focus. Um, obviously, I think the extra time sort of allowed him to really sort of massage this and, and make it because this could have easily just gone all over the place because there there are so many things going on with like the, the new version of Gamora and uh, the new characters like Cosmos and uh, you know Nebula's uh, like uh, of an embedded member of the group and Rocket's origin story and Peter Quill stuff and uh, every character but every character gets like their moment every character gets like a nice wrap up so that if like if this is the end of their story then then you know we can move on and feel satisfied it's uh at the same time the central story is is really engaging uh this vi- this villain the high evolutionary is really really good not that he has like a big part in the film but it, he he is so kind of totemic that you don't need it like to fully understand his origin story he's just like a mad scientist dude who's done despicable things <laughs> to to these creatures and so you automatically i, I guess it helps I, I know there's been a lot of commentary about like the animal torture in this but nothing says bad guy like animal torture so there's <laughs> there's there's kind of no feelings of like we need to get to the bottom of what really makes the high evolutionary tick no he's a mad scientist psycho who tortures animals and he has to he has to go so it's it's very straightforward in that regard i th- i think the only weak link of this is the Adam Warlock stuff. And I, I think yeah. Will Poulter is very, very good as Adam Warlock, but it, it feels like almost like one piece too many in in all of this. And um I feel like it's something that he had to have Gunn thinks he had to have because he introduces the the whole concept of Adam Warlock at the end of a previous movie and he had to do it. But I I mean it, it wasn't enough to to take the whole thing off track. And I think it despite it's like hour and a half running time, it's very tight. Um, everybody knows their jobs here. The cast is experienced. They know their roles. They know each other. 
and you get something very, very fun and satisfying. And that has been a rarity with these movies lately. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to say it's, you can't go wrong with these films, but you know, with, with these, with this cast of as the guardians of the galaxy and these characters, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of the, the stuff around the story is pretty easy to to drop in, mm-hmm. right? The the actors really know their characters. They know what they're doing. We already know that they're very good with comedy. Um, and, you know, you can just sort of like sketch out a story and then feel confident that, okay, then we can just put, you know, some some comedy beats and some different set pieces in just to show off the cast and what they can do and not, Mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to like some other things where you do have some weak links or, you know, your cast is really only like four people, for instance, like in, (laughs) in Ant-Man, I guess it's five, but um, daughter Cassie was new, but um, yeah, like, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more safety uh, mm. in the Guardians of the Galaxy as as they existed through these three films mm-hmm. that uh, that did make it, I think, an easier film to pull off than some of the other Marvel things going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting. I mentioned the um the Christmas special. and um what I really loved about the Christmas special was that it was basically just a Drax and Mantis special. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they were basically the main characters. It was like a like a little side quest, which was so much fun. And I think because it was, I mean, they all they the two of them, even in number two, had definitely like a chemistry, and they definitely played that up in the film. Mm-hmm. But with the Christmas special, it was so clear how great these two interact with each other. So I I loved that that really continued in in you know this third film that they kind of kept putting them together to go like you guys go do this <laughs> which you know maybe without having watched the the christmas special might have felt a little like well why are they always being sent off to do whatever on their own especially it's usually to the detriment of the mission to have those two alone together somewhere doing <laughs> something yes <laughs> yes <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I mean, they're really great um, together. Uh, I did love. I love the scene where they're at the counter in the, uh, I guess, essentially space apple, um, this <laughs> organic planet, um, where he, where she makes the the guy at the counter uh, fall in love with Drax, and just the way Batista carries that, you fully understand that this is a trick that she's always pulling, mm-hmm. and he, he's kind of fed up with it. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it's like small touches like that really make this um really make this shine that you know it's it's this you, you don't have to have seen all the time she's pulled this to understand that this is a, a regular thing mantis does and he he just has to kind of sit there and take it and there's there's a lot of really great there's a lot of great nebula stuff which is weird because in the like the first film she's like a villain and the second film she's kind of an antagonist still but you really get that feeling that she's been like kind of a central part of this group for years yeah she's basically the heart of the film like it's it's really not star lord anymore 
Yeah, which I found really like it, there are a lot of these groovy arcs in this that have uh, it turns out have run through all these three films where Nebula has gone from like secondary villain to this sort of like ma- matriarchal figure in the Guardians and um, Quill, who's like o- always about like kind of running away from things and this self-aggrandizement sort of like coming to a re- realization about he has some stuff about himself to figure out by the end and and rockets um rockets arc as well i don't want to spoil it where kind of he ends up at the end of the film but i mean it also perhaps better than a lot of these films plays into the um the, the additional you know sort of adventures that these characters have nebula and rocket um of course were in the avengers movies as uh, sort of survivors of the the great snap and uh, joining with the Avengers to save the world, and so you you do have this sort of full background that you understand that um, these characters had other adventures away from the Guardians of the Galaxy that informed how they are and have become sort of fully part of this this arc over this multi film saga, not just the Guardians films, but all the Marvel films too. And again, that's not easy to do. That's very, very hard to do. And and we've sort of seen that um in in all types of these films. It's very hard to sort of pick up all these various pieces. You know, you, you mentioned the the holiday special, which I didn't see. I don't feel like I missed out on much um in terms of understanding the plot and the characters and all that. But you can't say that about something like you know, multiverse of madness from last year. Yeah, it makes or, no sense if yeah. you haven't watched uh, the yeah. Scarlet Witch. TV. Right, right. And I, I do wonder what that because there's another Marvel movie coming out later this year, The Marvels, which features three main characters, two of whom were exclusive TV creations on two different TV shows. Yeah, and I haven't watched Miss Marvel at all yet. Not because I don't want to. It's just. I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. And I I don't know that that movie. I'm like, oh, am I going to like should I watch it first or should I try going in without and see yeah. see how it is? But right. um I will say with this film, um, so a lot of people were talking about, oh, it's Guardians of the Galaxy and oh my God, you know, cries. I'm so so teary. I didn't expect to cry so much at this movie, which I always <laughs> When I hear people say that, I think, did did you not watch the first and second movie? Because I definitely cried the first and second movie, especially yeah. the second one, because yeah. this series has always been about, you know, choosing family, finding the family around you, and and um, you know, dealing with the loss and the the betrayal and and you know all those things of of people who were supposed to keep them safe and close mm-hmm. and i think that that's been like that's something that i think james gunn has always done really well with these films mm-hmm. but i don't think he did it well with this film i actually found myself the the least emotionally invested in in this movie and mm. the least sort of emotionally moved mm. um and i don't think it's because i not interested in the story of rocket i actually i i am really interested in it um and i always really liked rocket the character and i think there are certainly in the other movies he was often the one who was bringing the most emotion to me as he was sort of softening and realizing like when in number one when groot sacrifices himself i'm like it's rocket who is the reason i'm crying yeah (laughs) because his reaction to groot sacrificing himself so i expected to be a lot more emotionally moved 
and I wasn't. And I don't know, I don't know if it was, there was some of it that I felt was just very heavy handed. Mm. I was just like, you know, all of the times that he was with the other three um, animal experiments, like him, his friends, the whole time I'm just like, can we just scream disaster and trauma any hot? Like, I know, <laughs> I know where this is going. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, maybe I'm a speciesist. I don't know. <laughs> the, the special effects work on these other animals um, didn't endear me to them uh, physically. Mm. So I just, I couldn't really make the connection. And it was also also like, yeah, I I know what's going to happen here. So when it did, it was not like shocking or moving in any way. Mm. Um, and then even uh, there is, there's a line spoken by a character at the very, very end of the movie mm-hmm. that I felt like, the audience around me was like, oh my God, that was so nice. And I was like, that was so over the top and cheesy and I'm not on board. Mm. I That's interesting. I, I think it, it, it is, mileage may vary depending on, um, depending on your, your level of sentiment. Uh, it, I thought it was effective, but um, I, I, I like those, I like the the concept of like these poor animals who were like it's basically like the Sid's toys thing from from Toy Story where they have these like cybernetic arms and this you know this rabbit that has like mechanical spider legs and things that it uh you know call me whatever but it, it did work on me I I I was uh, I was sign- I was I was efficiently moved <laughs> I, I know I I am all by myself I I literally have not found anyone else who who felt the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, even after the movie, I was like, did we need that last line? And then they're all explaining it to me about how well it's because, you know, we've all been together so long. And that's why I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway. Um, it's it's interesting uh, for sure that uh, just how how well or, or how of uh, how how well that James Gunn was able to take these characters, which like nobody had heard of. Everyone thought the whole idea of Guardians of the Galaxy um, when it was announced, like, this is weird. Why is Marvel rolling its dice on something this nuts? And, it, it, you know, to have to have been on the journey and to come out the other side and go, wow, that was worth it. That would delivered something I, I was not expecting. It's uh, it's kind of crazy. So, yeah, definitely three of the most solid of the Marvel movies. Like all three of them would probably be on my like top 15. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well it's uh I, I think this is hold on let me scroll up here it's i know the, i'm like how many are there i feel like the... i don't know if they would all make my top 10 so mm-hmm. oh it doesn't say right at the top it usually says right at the top of the wikipedia article what number this is it's 30 it's in the 30s for sure anyway uh that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it if you want to listen to it again you can find it on our website and creditsradioshow.com you can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candace, where else can people find you out there on the internet, Spaceways? 
Yes, you can find me everywhere on the internet at sin48, that's C-I-N-N-4-8. Um, and uh, you can also listen to my uh, podcast with the bookshelf called uh, The Village Podcast by the Bookshelf, which should be releasing a new episode um, in about a week. We do mm-hmm. monthly, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, episodes in a week, join us here next week for our 300th episode of the show. In the meantime, I'll be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. You can also see my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And you can also stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for 300. And we will see you then. 